Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Hi, Susans. This is Carolyn's wife, Cecilia, here to let you know that this is a really great episode about trauma. But we wanted to give those who need it a trigger warning as they touch on topics like sexual assault and eating disorders. Babe, are you playing with my equipment again? Nope. <laughs> I've had many a story where I've made a girl go into the bathroom with me and <laughs> do naughty things. <laughs> Did, so. did the women know that that's what they were getting into or was it just like a, a Marina Jenny situation? <laughs> um, twice they did, but then the other times I'm not sure. I'm dyking out, we're dyking out. Let's dyke out together. See what it's all about. Hi and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast hosted by two dykes trying to round up the most interesting and badass humans in our community. I'm Carolyn Bergier, and guess what? We have our new co-host in place, and I'm so excited about this because there were so many great dykes who filled in as co-hosts over the past couple months, and thanks for everyone for sticking it out while I was basically dating, and we all know how much I hate dating, so I'm happy to settle down. Uh, they were all so funny and so much fun to record with. But ultimately, it came down to some important factors, which were who masturbates the most and who has access to a Dodge Caravan. And I think we all know who that is. Reveal yourself. <laughs> Susan's. It's Melody. I <laughs> masturbated this morning for good luck as I embark on this journey. And I'm so excited. Carolyn just told me last night I have not been able to sleep since. So if I'm um, messy with my words today, that's why. Um I think we're going to have a new segment on the podcast that's just like Melody's Masturbation Diary. Yes. And then you have to let us know at every recording whether or not you have masturbated yet. I'm into that. And yeah. then I think we should do like squirting stories on the um, yeah. Patreon. <laughs> How about that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Hey, if you want to hear in detail about Melody... <laughs> squirting uh that is officially now gonna be our patreon content and now that the l word's over and we're not gonna be recapping that anymore i think squirting stories is uh, a seamless move yeah yeah <laughs> oh that's amazing and today we are diking out with singer samantha sidley about overcoming trauma uh samantha is an la-based jazz singer and interpreter whose album interior person is out now. Welcome, Samantha. Hello. So happy to have you here. A quick announcement for anybody who's going to be in New York Monday, February 24th. It's our next show, Diking Out at Stonewall. So we'll be at Stonewall with a lineup, as usual, of some of the funniest uh, comics in New York who just happen to be queer for the most part. I'm letting one straight in this time. I think this is the first time I'm letting a hetero uh, infiltrate... 
our <laughs> sacred show at Stonewall, but I'm going to make her make out with somebody beforehand. So it's going to... Yeah. She's yeah. very gay passing. Yeah, so. very gay passing. <laughs> and before she steps in, she's just going to have to like finger bang someone. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to be a, a good time. And then Rita Brent from our last episode is going to be on the lineup as well, making her diking out at Stonewall debut. And Melody, are you going to be joining me on stage? Yeah, we're going to start co-hosting the show together, right? Yeah, we better write some bits. Uh, yes. <laughs> we better figure that out. Some yeah. choreography. Bear with us. After last night's show, I think one of us needs to learn how to tap dance. Oh my God. Yeah. We saw tap dancing last night at yes. our guest show. Yes. And Tappy Make Me Happy <laughs> Two. Yeah. <laughs> they had a review on Broadway World, was it? Yeah. Where the reviewer said, Tappy, make me happy. Your best friend is a tap dancer yes. who joins you on stage for a couple songs. And I have been watching a lot of her videos this morning, I have to admit, because <laughs> it made me very happy. Yes. It's incredible. Melinda Sullivan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, Samantha, rumor has it that you turned down um, the chance to perform backup for Elton John at the Oscars just to dike out with us today. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. It's a true story. <laughs> no, you, you turned down to, to be in New York. You have this run at the Green Room 42, uh, which is a cabaret venue in Yotel, um, just a little bit west of Times Square. And that's a hotel that's very near and dear to me, as I was telling Melody, because when my wife and I first started hooking up and uh, she was going through a divorce, so she was living in hotels, and one of them was Yotel, and Whoa. we and we were working together, so she would just like slip me a room key during the day, and then I'd like go meet her at night, and we would have like a lot of passionate start of the relationship sex oh in, in the hotel. That's hot. The hotel slipping just got a way key. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was, uh, it was a good time. So yeah, I was, uh, very excited to go. And then I, yeah, Melody and I went together. Uh, I did not bring Cecilia and not only <laughs> was she bummed that it was at Yotel, but I've been playing your album interior person all morning and she kept saying, I can't believe you didn't take me to see this, but you know what? You're playing another show Tonight, Tonight. Yeah. which, sorry, listeners, you can't go because this is coming out in the future. But uh, <laughs> I was toying with the idea of coming again tonight. Yeah. yeah. It was just like so enjoyable. Uh, Thank you. Your music is so great and it's been getting great reviews. It has. Yeah. The, like the Broadway world review. <laughs> I, I think it has mainstream appeal for sure i do too i mean yeah like satellite radio you there's so many people you know i think that there's an audience for everything now yeah and listeners like i you've you've got to check it out i mean the first song on it is called i like girls tell us a little bit about what you were trying to do with with this album um it shifted so many different times um Originally, I wanted to write like a one-woman musical, and I started doing shows, and I was just singing jazz standards, and um, Barb, my wife, and some friends of mine would come to my shows all the time, and they were like, I want to write, help you write your musical, I want to write songs for you, and so they started writing me songs. Um, sometimes I'd pitch like a, can you write me a song called Interior Person, like I asked to do that, because I, I liked that. I just thought of it one day and was like, that's beautiful. 
but I don't know how to write songs. (laughs) (laughs) Or I don't like any songs that I write. (laughs) And so, you know, they started writing me these songs and... And somewhere along the line, Barb said to me, I'm going to produce your record one day. And I was like, "Mm, I didn't even believe her. Um, And then Inara, another one of the songwriters, was like, well, I'm starting a record label, so I want to put out your record. And so Barbara was like, let's do this. And so we ended up making a record instead of the musical. (laughs) But... That is amazing. And also that Barb, who's here, so if you hear giggles in the background, (laughs) that too. And I am obsessed uh, because Barb plays the drums. She's an amazing For you. And and an amazing writer to see all the credits on on the album and and how much you wrote of it and that you produced it too. But the entire time you're performing, you just have, you look like you are having the time of your life. Like you're just so happy and you just look at her so lovingly. (laughs) And it is, I was just like swooning the whole time. I'm like, these two, I know, like (laughs) Melody and I kept looking at each other and we're like, we can't handle this. This is squealing. Yeah. Like this makes me so happy to watch. So, um, wow. How long, how long have you been singing for? I've been singing my whole life. I, I have to imagine, yeah. That. Yeah. I really have. And um, it was just like... It'd be weird if like you turned 17 and all of a sudden we're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that did Maybe I'll try this singing thing. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. I, I was always just singing and my parents weren't musicians, but my best friend, um, who I've known since I was two years old and she's coming to the show tonight. Yes. Um, her dad was a musician and he told my parents, he was like, you know, your daughter can really sing. Like other little three-year-olds can't like match <laughs> notes and yeah. tones and and so my parents were like okay and um th- m- my dad just started like playing me music that he wanted me to learn and so he um he was kind of nazi-ish about it but he but so i wasn't allowed to listen to the radio oh. so i only really listened to billy holiday and like oscar peterson <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not bad. Yeah, but I was just like I grew up and I thought I was such a weirdo, but then I realized I was like, it was pretty cool actually. There was a song that sounded so Billy Holiday esque last night towards the end. Um, I even wrote it down. Wait, it was like the second to last song, maybe. I it wasn't Butterfly in My Ass. <laughs> no, no. But I do want to talk about the origin story. Yes, of the last song you played. Yeah. Um. I'm, I always make Barb tell the story because she's such a good storyteller. But basically in 1974, Barb's grandma, to loosen up her grandfather, gave him a giant, it's like six feet. It's Across, huge. Yeah. It's ginormous. Um, painting of a beautiful pink naked woman with long, luscious um Red hair. You can actually look it up on the internet. Um, okay. Um, and there was a lewd sentence at the bottom of the painting that was covered up because Grandpa couldn't handle it. And um, years, years passed, years passed. He gave the painting to Barb's mom, who was also a lesbian. She Ooh. came out. <laughs> um, she came out two years before Barb did. And but. Um, you know, all of Barb's friends wanted to go and hang out at the lesbian house and like that, this like big painting of a naked woman. And we're like, this is the place to be. And um, years pass after that. And um, Barb's mom moves and she says, hey, do you want that painting of the naked lady? 
And we were like, yeah. Yeah. And then we noticed, <laughs> and Barb had never noticed it before, but there was like the, the covered up <clears throat> lewd sentence. And it's like a matching piece of paper. Um, it's, it's hard so to see. It, yeah, it looks like framing almost. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a framing. And yeah. so we opened it up and took it off. And the sentence was, I have a butterfly in my ass. <laughs> oh, my God. Barb just pulled up the... <laughs> This is not what I was expecting at all. Um, okay, so what I was picturing <laughs> in my head, I'm going to have to post this on Facebook, uh, was like one of those kind of vintage like almost French-type art prints of, of a woman. Mm -hmm. But this is like ass in the air. Yeah. Like, oh, let me see. Big tit out, like... <laughs> Like <laughs> poison ivy porn looking. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, no, no wonder. Oh yeah, Barb's that wasn't <laughs> what I was expecting Jeez. either. If I, I love this. <laughs> if that was in my house, my sister would also be gay. I think. I think it wouldn't have <laughs> stopped at me. Oh my god! Wow, that is amazing. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. For sharing that, um, <laughs> so th and then you made that a song. They yes, they made that a song. Yeah, that's so great. And I like to interpret in my mind. I'm like, it's the opposite of a cork in your ass. Yeah, it's a butterfly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, there's also like a because Barb and this, Alex Lilly, who wrote the song with Barb, um, they know me so well. But there is. A there's um in the bridge of the song I say the girls are in the bathroom and they're not there to cry because I've had many a story where I've made a girl go into the bathroom with me and <laughs> do naughty things. <laughs> did so. did the women know that that's what they were getting into or was it just like a a Marina Jenny situation? <laughs> um, twice they did, but then the other times I'm not sure. <laughs> I think that's a great move. That's a great. That's move. a classic move. I know. I know. Uh, I wish I had thought of that when I was in college. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had that song to listen to when I was in college. Like you even mentioned this last night that you grew up not having like queer songs to relate to, um, and there was like a Beach Boys, Brian Wilson esque song. You had said that before. Busy doing nothing. Busy doing nothing. Yeah, I. Um, I'm so glad I have just a few more queer songs <laughs> to relate to because it is still so scarce. Yeah, well, especially in when it comes to like jazz and and that kind of music. Like now we're hearing it a little bit more in pop, and of course there are artists like uh, like Tegan and Sarah. Yeah. Um, but I've never really heard anything in the realm of what you do that plays with like pronouns and is just like very unapologetically queer mm. and uh, it's awesome. And like when, when you were, did you ever get any pushback from that or were people like at this point in time, are they finally like excited and not like, Oh no, you can't do that. Honestly, at Cause, cause I'd stopped singing for a while. Yeah. Like at the, when I started singing again and I realized that I should be changing the pronouns because singing is, I like to say the Olympics of talking. It's just storytelling. <laughs> so it should be very, very personal. Yeah. Um, I was at that point 
this episode's about trauma. I just didn't give a fuck anymore. And I was like, I don't, I don't care what people think of me and if yeah. this is weird. And, and I did have to perform to like one time I, I did this performance in like Laguna beach for a bunch of people of a certain age <laughs> and they were all white and white haired. And I just went out there and I was like, I, I have no idea what this is going to be like. And yeah. my first song was I like girls and they loved it. Yeah. And this one, these, these three women, like in their 70s, came up to me and they were like, thank you. And they like were dressed like, you know, like suits and like fancy like golf-ish attire. And and this one, this other one was like, and you have great arms. And like, oh. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, like very Blanche Devereaux, you know? <laughs> and and, um, and then she invited you yeah. to the bathroom. <laughs> then, she, then we went to the bathroom. <laughs> and, um, but it just made me realize, like, you really can't judge your audience. And yeah, and yeah I, I, it's just, it's in, in the same way that I, I never really, like, I just love music. So I was never like, oh, too bad John Lennon's straight, you know? I right. Just, I, I, you know, he sings about love and, and, and I think about who I love and it makes sense to me. And sure. so I hope, my hope is that it's the same for people who listen to my music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing that you brought up last night that uh, you said to ask you about it after the show. So I'm going to ask that uh, <laughs> when when you were in New York, you accidentally smoked crack. Now, I did. To be clear, it's not this past time. <laughs> like, it's not. It didn't happen this morning on your way here or anything. Well, yeah. I was just a young 21-year-old stoner. And I was, you know, I'm a California girl. Sorry, New York. I love New York, but I am just a California girl just... Kind of cliche, walking around being like, anybody got some pot? Yeah. <laughs> and I should have known better that that's not what you ask people on the street in New York. <laughs> in Brooklyn, in <laughs> 2006. Oh, God. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I walked up to a guy, and he was like... Which now I think I'm like, it's interesting that he wanted to share it in the first place, because I feel like most crackheads don't want to share their crack. But, but um, I was like, is that pot? I didn't know what a crack pipe looked like. Sure. Not that I'm like, I was like super prude. I just didn't know what a crack pipe looked like. But That would have um, been me in my early 20s. <laughs> I don't think I knew. That could be me today. Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry you're better than all of us, Melody. <laughs> so I was like, can I have a hit of that? And he like looked at me and like kind of wants me over. And I was like, oh, just give me the fucking hit. And then and he, he did. In the moment I breathed it in, I knew it wasn't <laughs> it was like crack is whack. Like, what, I, what is well, it like? Does it just feel like poison? Well, I <laughs> it did, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't meth because I've heard meth is fantastic, actually, <laughs> and, and it really wasn't fantastic. Like, I like all I remember is I was staying with somebody who had a little kid, and they had this giant teddy bear, and the teddy bear was like terrifying, and it felt like. You know, in like kind of cheesy shows when they're trying to show that somebody's on drugs and like yeah. the camera's going sideways and zippy zap zap. Well, that's kind of true. <laughs> that's yeah. What it felt. I yeah. felt like I was like, zip, uh, where am I? Uh, yeah. And everything is a strobe light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. And and it like the high part of it only lasts like a good 15 minutes. But yeah. I felt sick for like two days. Oh, man. Yeah. And oh. out of my mind. Like, I felt out of my mind more than usual. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's like, that's straight up uh, an episode of uh, Girls on HBO. There was like one episode oh, where yeah. Hannah accidentally smokes 
crack. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's not an uncommon thing because I remember when that episode happened, like a bunch of people I knew were like, because people were like, oh, that's not realistic. And other people were like, oh, no, I've also accidentally <laughs> smoked crack. Yeah. And that is a... Uh, more frequent occurrence you would think especially living in new york yeah <laughs> especially in brooklyn yeah, yeah yeah i have quite a few friends who like accidentally smoked crack and one person who accidentally smoked pcp which was way worse oh wow <laughs> yeah oh my god <laughs> my mom ever listens to this she'll be like see see because she, she's like she's always like you don't want to smoke pot because you don't know what it's laced with. <laughs> like that's always been her thing of like convinced that everything yeah. is laced with. That was the cautionary. Yeah. Tale kind of with smoking yeah. weed. Yeah. <laughs> it can happen apparently. Yep. I mean, that's kind of why I only buy it where it's legal. I mean, I know it's like kind of changing, but when I go to California, I like that I can walk into a dispensary and know that I'm not going to accidentally buy crack. Like, (laughs) yeah. But let me tell you dispensaries. I hope you're listening. You need to chill out that weed. It is too strong. (laughs) It is as bad as crack. I have thought I was going to have to go to the hospital multiple, multiple times. So yeah, it is for, I think for like older people who like smoked it as a kid and then they're like, oh, maybe now that it's legal, I'll get some. And then they're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. yeah. It's so powerful now. It's so different. Yeah. My best friend's mom um, is like an ex Woodstock hippie type woman who's always asking us to get her weed. And as we walk away from her, she's always screaming. And I'm not talking about that like chemical lays, like give me grass. Yeah. I want grass. I you understand the grass. difference? Yes. Grass. <laughs> I love this woman. It's like, I want seeds in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bring swag back. Yeah. I was 100% thinking, like, they all call it grass. Like, the weaker says grass. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Oh, so let's just keep the fun times rolling and talk about trauma. Hello. <laughs> and overcoming it. And uh, because... I haven't yeah. overcome it. <laughs> Yeah, or, well, the process of trying to, because that's that's a great point. Uh, I meant that to be cheeky, but oh, it's true. <laughs> no, but, but that is true that um, a lot, like, trauma is something that unfortunately sticks with you for the rest of your life, and it's just more about, like, managing it and finding ways to, like, cope and process and... Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've learned a lot about this through my wife, who has... PTSD and um, goes to a lot of therapy and like reads a lot of books and does a lot of like self care stuff and in order to manage it and uh, she used to always say like do you think I'll get better do you think I'll get better and I'm mm. like that's that's such a sad state of mind to think of yeah. like that you're just like damaged Ugh, because of this or something. <laughs> Uh, because of that, but it's like, to me, she's ending. Yeah. It's like, it's never ending, but I'm also like, but like, it's, it's not like what happened to you makes you like a bad person or anything like that. Like like you're amazing and you're incredible. And even though you had this thing happen to you, that's not your fault at all. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. It's just something, and then it's something that, especially in the queer community, like so many queer people have had trauma in in many ways, and especially for uh, for women, I know in the queer community have had sexual trauma of sorts. Seems to be. I really don't know. In person, my personal opinion, I don't know one woman in this world that hasn't had some sort of sexual trauma. Maybe on the spectrum of sexual trauma, it might be low, like some man said something disgusting to her. But to me, that's traumatic because women are so conditioned to behave, to be a certain way that the systemic part of it is traumatic to me. So I'm I'm a believer. I don't compare traumas. Your body doesn't know the difference. Your your adrenal glands aren't like, well, he touched her boob and she was raped and that's way worse. Like, your body doesn't know. It's just going to send out cortisol and be like, this fucking sucks. And so, yeah. That's true. I mean, uh, because I haven't been raped, but uh, I have been like groped in clubs Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, guys used to just like walk up to me and like slap me on the ass or grab up my ass or grab up more than my ass. And then I never used to think that I could consider that any type of like violation. I was just like, oh, that's just guys being, being creeps Mm -hmm. or like, you know, once, um, I, a guy woke me up while I was sleeping and asked me to have sex with him. And it was when I was in a hostel and I thought I was going to be raped. I wasn't when I like screamed, no, go away. He actually went away. But the adrenaline still. But the adrenaline and my response to it and just like sitting in that room thinking like, what if he changes his mind and like not knowing what to do and, and all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, all like, there's so many different degrees of it I Um, love that you brought up that you don't like to compare trauma I um, when I lived in Chicago I used to go to the YWCA for free weekly counseling like they just gave it free therapy weekly to women and the only prerequisite was that you identify as a woman and you have experienced any kind of like sexual trauma and I was like okay so most women Um, yeah yeah and the first like month or two of my sessions was me just undoing a lot of like self-talk that I didn't belong there like that I felt like I was taking someone else's spot who needed it more Mm. um and her just convincing me that my trauma was valid and I'm literally (laughs) diagnosed with PTSD Mm -hmm. yeah not for um well yeah (laughs) <laughs> so much trauma, but this specific diagnosis was not from uh, the sexual trauma that I did experience as a kid, but from like a really terrible car wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I was taking up someone spot like in that therapy yeah, who sure. was absolutely raped, but it's all valid. Yeah. So valid. Um, I, I did end up going to a rehab, which I know not everybody can afford. And I will say I'm very, I, I was able to go at that time um, and I remember everybody in my group, because they put us in like little groups, we would all be like, oh, your story's way worse than mine. Your story's way worse than mine. And at one point we were all like, you can't, yeah. you can't do that, you yeah. know? And, and I remember somebody who I thought story was way worse than mine and I shouldn't be complaining. She thought the same thing about me. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've never been in a car accident. I mean, in a, I get scared all the time. Yeah. It's terrifying. Like, you can't compare traumas. Yeah. Um, 
to be like completely blunt, I was like molested as a kid, um, but I didn't even consider that to be my trauma. Like it was this car accident, like, but I was really just burying that memory up until the car accident happened. Yeah. And then wow. afterwards, it was like this huge pileup on the highway. There were two tractor trailers involved, three cars. My car flipped, like oh I was thrashed God. around. Um, it is like, and it, I have the PTSD diagnosis because I really thought I was going to die. At one point I was in the middle lane on the Mass Pike outside of Boston. And oh my god facing oncoming traffic and I just like yeah. squeeze my eyes shut I'm like this is how I die um and luckily I was like hit um and pushed to the side of the road after all of this um but it's because of that um that a lot of my childhood sexual abuse eventually started bubbling up because I had like unlocked this trauma center in my head or something but the way my PTSD manifest is that I always feel like there's someone behind me with a gun and it makes no sense. At least it didn't until I mm -hmm. went to therapy and she's like, no, the impact came at you from behind. Like you don't, you hold a lot of trauma in your neck, you know, like it's not really logical. Wow. Most of the time it's just yeah. even wow. held in different places of your body. Like I never feel mm -hmm. safe. If I'm walking mm -hmm. alone at night, I'm always convinced I'm going to turn around and there's someone with a gun, but that's just yeah. because a car hit me from behind. So yeah, it, it's, it can manifest in so many crazy ways. My mom, you know, lived through the Vietnam War and everything, and her roommate's boyfriend, when he came back, he, for years and years and years, would sleep with his shoes on because he, like, he was so, his body just was so ready to run right. for his life. Yeah. And wow. he just Always couldn't, he couldn't sleep without his shoes on. Wow. But, um... But yeah, it's like it's a somatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I've heard of that before too. Where like one kind of trauma will unlock yeah. memories of a different repressed trauma or something. Like uh, we had a listener once who wrote in about a, a traumatic uh, car accident, and she had been hit by like a tractor trailer as a kid, like walking, and was like in a coma. And when she came out of it, like that was when she realized that she was gay coming out of like a coma yeah. from, from a car accident. And like, yeah, I came out actually yeah. not too long after the accident. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even put that together yet. <laughs> it's one of the common causes of, uh, <laughs> becoming a dyke. It's just, that's how they get us. Yeah. Yeah. The insurance companies aren't onto it yet. I was hit by a man and I was yeah. like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think you can ram me ever again. All right. Oh God. I mean, I have to say, I mean, I, that was my experience too. I mean, or has been my experience after I was raped. It, it felt like my life flashed before my eyes and it felt like that was actually the smaller issue that happened to me in my whole life. Wow. And yeah, I had, I I had also, I'd, I, I didn't go to very much therapy when I was a kid, but every time I did, the therapist would always say, it sounds like you have sexual trauma. And I would say, no, I don't have any. And when I went to this rehab I had this amazing therapist and we did something called um ED um EMDR, EMDR yes. and she was really special this woman um I'll just say her name her name was Pallavi Gupta she um Shout worked, out. she yes I I will because she's a genius yeah and literally changed my life and in the EMDR session, I was just telling her stories of my childhood and she stopped the tape. You you watch these like lights going and, and it um you have alternating buzzing in your hand 
each hand and what it does is it helps because it's working both sides of your brain it helps you remember traumas and release them physic physio like physically release them it sounded like mumbo jumbo to me but i actually it was the best therapy i've ever had wow and um but so Pallavi stopped the the rolling and she was like what and I told her that I was like, yeah, this this was just normal. And I think that like, you know, with a lot of childhood trauma and I really love the way they touched on this in the the with Oprah in the um, in the Michael Jackson documentary was that oh, you yes. accept you accept what's happening to you because yeah. you're a dependent. Yeah. And you and adults are right. And yeah. and also they're literally pressing your button. So it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily feel that wrong. You don't know what's wrong. Yeah. But, you know, I never told anybody about it because I thought it was weird, but I didn't think it was abuse. Right. But it was absolutely abuse. Yeah. And my body registered it as abuse. And, you know, I have physical symptoms that um, that's how the therapist knew because I would say, oh, well, my this happens to me and I won't go into it because it's pretty graphic. But like, you know, um. Like, yeah, it was just these are these are the symptoms of what can happen to you when a child goes through that. Yeah. And, yeah. So okay, yeah. I want to officially try EMDR. It's been pitched to me by therapists a lot, and most recently an acupuncturist who was like, "Holy mm-hmm. shit, you hold so much tension mm-hmm. and trauma, and like you're the back and the neck." Um. So what? It's like tapping too. Um. Yeah, you're they, going to different rhythms. Yeah. So tapping can actually like help you calm down and it's really it's kind of like a lovely thing because you can do it in any situation and nobody knows that you're tapping I mean, you can be in line at trader joe's and be like i'm stressed out <laughs> yeah but um but in emdr you hold this machine it's like these two little eggs kind of like a vibrator <laughs> <laughs> and, i'm listening and they all i don't think melody can handle it <laughs> i don't think you're allowed near the vibrating eggs i'll take things in a whole new direction <laughs> and you just hold them and then you alternate the buzzing alternates from right to left right to left and you w- watch this like it's like a long like kind of like um like strip of light and it's just these lights like little dots that go back and forth back and forth and that is optional but i i did it because sometimes it makes people nauseous Mm. um my therapist palavi would always start the session she'd say okay we're gonna go to your big library imagine this big library imagine this like I don't know. I had this library underground because I was really into this show called Avatar: The Last Airbender, and there's an episode where they go to a library. All right, yeah, I've heard dark. good things. I've heard good things. <laughs> I've seen it five times. Yeah, <laughs> that is my happy place. That if you have trauma, that is it's healing. Uh, <laughs> can I just say that my wife watches? Everybody loves Raymond, like mm-hmm. through over and over, because oh. that was something that she watched when she was younger, and it's like kind of this a way that she copes with trauma. Mm-hmm. Like it's just very calming for her to have everybody loves Raymond in the background. And when we first started dating, I would make a lot of jokes <laughs> about how much I'm like, I'm surprised Amazon hasn't come here to check on you and make sure you're okay <laughs> because this is 
more Everybody Loves Raymond than anybody should ever watch. That is so, but, now I'm going to watch Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> Mama, always looking for like shows that Golden Girls yeah. is not Golden one. Girls. Yeah. Golden that's Girls. That's the other yeah. one. Yes. That's the other one. She finally, when she finally stopped, she went back to Golden Girls. I'm Ugh. like, okay, this is, I can get on board with like Golden Girls all the time. And like now just from hearing in the background, I know every Golden Girls episode. I'm like, oh, it's the one where the gay friend comes to town. <laughs> this is, you're really melting my heart because I've, when I met Barb, I was obsessed with watching shows because yeah. that's how I calmed down. And even yes. like after after I perform a show and I've had a lot of social stuff, I have to calm down. Like yeah. I'm just, it's a lot for me. And um, and because when I'm on stage, I give 150%. <laughs> that's Confirms true. Confirms <laughs> And so, you know, I just got it, like my body needs to relax. And so poor Barb, I've like forced her <laughs> to like get into shows with me. But now, you know, we'll come home and I'll just be like, Gigi. And she'll be like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we watch shows all the time together. And that's our that's our thing. We're kind of like a TV dinner yeah. kind of <laughs> couple. <laughs> do you do that with uh, with songs too? Like, will you listen to the same song over and over? I do. Yeah. Barb's a little more adventurous than I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's, um, I will brag about her. She is a world-class, incredible musician. I look yes. up to her very much as a musician. I was her fan. That's how I met her. Yeah? Um, and she was somebody that I would listen to over and over again. She had a band called the Bell Brigade, and they're amazing. And right. um, with her brother, and um, and it's rock and roll. It's totally, totally different. Than, oh my gosh, than I jazz. have to check yeah. it out. Yeah, um, she has a really great song um, that I think is such a great women's anthem, and it's called "Be Like Him." That is so rad, and she sings it and plays drums, and it's really ah, cool. it's from oh their second gosh. record. Um, and and don't yeah. worry, listeners, because <laughs> I have already asked um, Barb to be on the podcast, and we'll have another episode yeah. at some point when we're out in LA. Yeah. Yes, uh, Barb always says she's like, "Talk about you. You talk about me a lot, like I on know. stage." And I'm like, "I can't help it. You're a huge part of my life, and yes. uh, you mean oh, everything to me." I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel like I didn't interrupt you because you were talking about Avatar the last I don't year. even remember. Oh, so oh. I, in EMGR, I'd go to the yes. library underground. Um, I think it was in the second season, um, second edition of Avatar, the Korra, where, who's actually a lesbian. She's one of the first cartoon characters that's a lesbian. Yes, yeah. yes. This is the only reason mm -hmm. I know about this. Uh, <laughs> but it's a little bit confusing because she also has, I guess she's she's bi. She's a bi okay. girl. Nice. But she, at the end there, she shares a kiss with the other main girl character, but it's like a little obscure, but apparently mm -hmm. they're supposed to be lesbians. Okay. So I accept that. Yeah. yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. But uh, yeah, and so I'd open this book and she'd say, okay, talk about anything. And a lot of weird stuff was coming up. And I'm like, why aren't I talking about the rape that I just fucking survived? And like, but it was like middle school bullying kept coming up. And I was like, why am I so, I should be over this. This was 15 years ago or whatever. But no, it, it was still like a thing. And um, yeah, I, I, I was severely bullied when I was in middle school, which I knew, but I thought just as an adult, you get over it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I was mm -hmm. really, really bullied. Um, so I, you don't get over it, no. <laughs> I think. Um, and even if you do think it like manifests in different ways that you might be unaware of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that stays <laughs> with it stays. you. Yeah. Um, that that's so crazy because yeah, I've had to really rethink all my thoughts about trauma in terms of both my experience with um, my wife and learning about her. PTSD and seeing how 
it affects her every single day and all the different ways that it manifests, including like physical pains and and things like that. Um, And then thinking about just kind of like the scale of trauma and what's traumatic and how some things that uh, you think, because unfortunately, Cecilia, she's had multiple like traumatic things come to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain ones that she seems like completely unfazed by, or like she doesn't dwell on or whatever. And then others that are like really the ones. And I'm like, why aren't you ever upset about this horrible thing mm-hmm. too? And it just, it just like is so different for everyone. And I, even like when I was um, going through my divorce years ago and talking to um, a therapist then uh, she had asked about whether my ex-wife had been through any trauma. And I was like, no, she's had a great life. And then now <laughs> I'm like, uh, all right, idiot. Like, everybody has has trauma. Everybody. She also, like, fell off a balcony when she was Ooh. two years old. And they thought she was dead and was, like, bleeding out her ear and lost her speech. And then that, like, really affected and you know so yes she had trauma I just like didn't think I was like well how could that affect her that happened when she she was two she doesn't even remember that but like yeah I don't know it's crazy but your brain I mean you make you make decisions in the moment and then they become your reality and you're not I mean I don't know anybody who every step they take they're you know trying to be objective of themselves you know we're just trying to live and right so, yeah, so it it, it kind of, like, comes out. But, yeah, I you brought up something that I have a really high pain tolerance. Like, it's, it's surprisingly high because I'm such a... <laughs> I'm such a diva in some ways and you'd think I wouldn't but I can like I saw the heels yeah. you were wearing yes. last night <laughs> yeah understood like, yeah <laughs> that's all you need to prove that you have a high tolerance for pain yeah I'm like a real singer singer I am I accept the as cliches. a queer woman you could get away with flats and nobody would judge you I'm not that the kind of e- queer woman <laughs> <laughs> um, but um but yeah, I have a, the, the, makes me. I have a one of my best friends. He's a gay man. I always want him to go shopping with me, and he's like, "I'm not that gay." <laughs> he hates <laughs> shopping. He hates it. I have to drag him. <laughs> like I'm like, please, I need your help. <laughs> but anyway, um, um, yeah, like I I can deal with people treating me badly or yelling at me, and and it, sometimes it doesn't phase me. And Barb will say to me, she's like, "That didn't piss you off? I'm gonna write them a letter. I'm fucking pissed," and, yeah. and I'll be like, "It's not a big deal." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how my girlfriend is too. She's experienced a lot of sexual trauma. Um, she was raped when she was 13, and then she had a very abusive boyfriend who would repeatedly like hurt her and rape her. And she just watches all these documentaries, like true crime. She's obsessed. And she's constantly watching these stories of just repeated rape and murder. And Mm -hmm. it's just so unfazed by it. But little things can set her off. If I crack my knuckles, she will she'll get devastated because the guy that she was with who used to abuse her cracked his knuckles and it just sends her right into that place. Yeah. But she could be totally fine just watching very similar stories played out on TV that she went through and be unfazed by it. I have noticed a lot of people that I know who are obsessed with true, true crime, me included. I feel like it's have had a lot of trauma and sexual trauma. And um, I feel like it's a way that we process it by hearing other stories. And um, it, it, 
I never compare myself to the stories, but I just don't. I get involved in the story. It's kind of right. like fun entertainment for me. But, but you know, Barb will not watch that or listen to that stuff. Like, yeah, I cannot get her to. That's that's the one she'll do. <laughs> she'll do Gigi with me, but yeah. not like some dark stuff. It's <laughs> heavy. Like yeah. she, my girlfriend prefers it to fall asleep to, and I'm like, me I too. really can't. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, like, and my specific trauma was like childhood sexual abuse right like I I don't relate that way like I can't mm-hmm. watch things and like you know or at least seek it out and really want to like the Michael Jackson documentary was so hard for me to watch but oh, that was God. one thing that was like I will watch this to completion but yeah. I was in such a dark place for so long afterwards oh it yeah. ruined my life uh, yeah. <laughs> especially because um, separate the, the artistry from the man but like the Michael Jackson, I literally work out to him like every day. And now oh, I, yeah. I, I won't listen to him right now because I'm like, I've listened to you a lot. I think you, I got it all. Yeah. But, you know, the bad record was one of the most important records to me that I've ever listened to. Yeah. And, yeah. And and I realized like how much in denial I was. I mean, like, of sure. course he was. You never saw him with little girls. Like yeah. he had a type and like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. Of yeah. course. You know. That documentary. uh also, I remember Cecilia for weeks after watching that was like in a funk and um, I watched it. Um, to, she had watched it without me and then I watched it so that I could like understand, you know, more of like what was triggering her and upsetting her. And it made it made me like so angry and like filled with rage and like to see all the people like still like how could you watch that and deny it like i know and and to see how true mm -hmm. these two guys were that how true their um stories were to the experiences of people with trauma it follows the same types of patterns of so many uh survivors Mm -hmm. um like to a T and it's like if you think they're faking it they would have had to like really dive into the same psychology books and come up with a plan to like go through this you know yeah with someone so celebrated that there are just public figures still like denying it like literally two days ago Snoop Dogg posted about it and wrote like them lion ass kids Oh, and everyone's just like thank you Snoop Snoop. including Bill Cosby oh yeah he said how is Bill Cosby tweeting how is he tweeting (laughs) isn't he in prison yeah Yeah, I don't know I think he's in jail he's in jail yeah and and he's tweeting in defense (laughs) it's just nuts that makes my skin crawl yeah Snoop yeah. No. I know. Uh, I, I, it's it's so complicated. And um, but you know, if it, the Oprah special after was yeah. really really good, and yeah. if the, if it really disturbed you, I, I I would say watch that because it she's so amazing and yeah. and she survived childhood abuse too. Yes. And so she the way she helps them talk about it and the way she explains it to people who don't understand yeah um is really really on the mark yeah yeah i mean it's, it's perfect she's brilliant oprah's amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah you're a, you're a chicago person That's, oh yeah uh, <laughs> ground zero for oprah fans right um yeah no i i used to i worked in video production in chicago too so um once her studio left there like i worked with a lot of former producers and editors who also said uh, good things of her so yeah she's the only person i think should be allowed to be a billionaire yeah like, yeah i think everyone's horrible and everyone's like 
shitting on billionaires and being like, people shouldn't have a billion dollars. I'm like, totally agree, except Oprah. <laughs> right. Like, let her have it. I trust that she's doing good things with it. She's getting mani-pedis with Gail. Hell yeah. Let her do it. <laughs> They're just painting straight up liquid gold onto their yeah, toenails. That's fine. Let her do it. <laughs> yes. Whatever brings that woman joy, let her have it. Oh my God. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Or when, when you experienced your sexual assault, um, you mentioned that you, was that when you stopped singing? No, I wasn't even singing at the time. Okay. And so I feel like I was dealing with, I feel like I was living as a sh- kind of a shell of a person and I really didn't understand how to, how to navigate danger. Mm. I didn't know what that looked like. Yeah. So this person that I worked for, um, he was the, obviously he's a sociopath, crazy person. And, um, he totally made, did all 
the there was many many red red flags, but yeah. I didn't know what a red flag was. Sure, because of my childhood sexual abuse and other um, physical abuse and and stuff like that. But you yeah, know, I just didn't. I had a rage. My dad was a rager, and so I, I could deal with anger things really well. And um, I come from a family of you know. Jews who survived the pogroms and went to South Africa, which is the most traumatic place in the world. I'm one of them, you know, yeah. it's just, so I, I had seen a lot of things and I had grown up accepting those things yeah, and not understanding. I mean, of course I knew like racism is horrible and makes no sense, but like, um, but just like accepting these horrors of the world yeah. as like kind of, not recognizing when when something dangerous was happening. If a man yelled at me, I'd be like, "I, I got this. I know what that is." Because, yeah, because I I took care of my dad all the time. Yeah. Um. So with this man, I just did not see the signs, and sure. even as it led up to the actual rape, like it, it yeah. was like until he was like literally raping with me, I could accept that that was happening. Yeah, it was like my body shut off, my mind shut off, and I just. Um, when I told a, a detective, because I, I did call the police, um, they were like, yeah, that's how you survived. That's yeah. how you survived. Mm -hmm. and, oh, for sure. Um, there's a really good book about it by a man named Gavin DeBecker, who is a true straight male feminist. He's He wrote this book for women, but anybody can relate. I mean, anybody can read, read it, but he wrote it for women because there's so much violence against women. Yeah. And it's called The Gift of Fear. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that that was the name of the, mm -hmm. the author, but the whole time you're talking, I was thinking about The Gift of yeah. Fear. Yeah. He's, I've, that book really, really, I, when I was reading it, he literally breaks down how to, in like, assist, systematically, like, breaks yeah. down, like, A, B, C, how to, how to sense danger, how to spot danger. And I was like, literally, the, my rapist did all, Every single one of these things. Yeah. And I just didn't know. Yeah. And so after that, when I went to rehab, I realized that um, I have to sing again. And I just, like all the shows that I'd always been writing in my head. Yeah. I got my accompanist Dan record together and I was like, can we do a show? And we started playing together and it, it developed from there. And um, it was like very healing for me to do those shows because I could um, kind of like... Um, I, I sometimes do is that all there is Peggy Lee's and I like really I do like a punk yeah. rock jazz version of it and I like I yeah. scream and yell in it and so there's some fun times where I can like really tap into that and let go and I also like to say my shows are about love so like just getting on stage and, and I always say to myself I always do like I bless the room before in my mind um, I actually bless it with my vagina <laughs> yeah. I like imagine that there's blessings coming out of my vagina yes. and I'm like to everybody in this room and every table I will take care of you tonight I will I will make you smile do not worry mama sama is here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it's a healing thing for me but yeah I wasn't really singing I would yeah. do like odd gigs gigs now and then but I wasn't making any money and I wasn't um working I, I couldn't yeah I was like disabled yeah pretty much yeah emotionally but I would have never called myself that I would have been like sure. I look normal I'm fine yeah like, it you know but that wasn't the truth and you, you were also <clears throat> was it around this time that you were dealing with Hashimoto's yeah I um few years before um three years before I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and i I, I know some people are fine with Hashimoto's, but I got, got so sick. And I I think I had it in high school, too. So it was just yeah. undiagnosed for so long yeah. um, that I almost went into a coma. 
Oh my like gosh. your thyroid levels are supposed to be like between 0.5 and 4 or something. Mine were 237. Oh, Jesus. Like my, my, my body was like completely shutting down. And I remember feeling like, I don't understand why I'm alive. And I remember feeling like I, I, I'm not a suicidal person, but I remember feeling like I understand why people let themselves go. Yeah. Because I, I don't understand this point. I don't understand the point of living like this. And I had no yeah. idea that I, I had Hashimoto's, that it was a thyroid issue, that I needed this medicine. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm a slave to the FDA now, but like, yeah. I, I, you know, I had. Yeah. I like to say my crack days were the carefree days. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any medications. Now I take three antidepressants and five thyroid medication. I don't eat gluten and la la la. <laughs> I require a lot, but um, but but yeah. Um, so I had been diagnosed with Hashimoto. So I thought my life had gotten a lot better. Yeah. But I've also like I've dealt with death. I had a best friend that, that he was in a gang and he did a suicide by cop and I had identif- oh. I identified his body. Like I oh. thought that that was an okay thing to do. And like, you know, it was just and that wasn't even something that I registered as heavy. Yeah. I was like, I want to say goodbye to him. Yeah. Because I love him and um you know, there's just I've seen a lot of stuff for someone my age, but um that just helps the music. <laughs> That's what I say. It just helps the music. I think about yeah. all my heroes and like all of the, <clears throat> I could compare traumas. I think about what it was like to be a black person in the forties and like, Jeez, or yeah. just Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, yeah. Ella Fitzgerald. She lost her whole family. Yeah. The hardest I've ever cried, I feel like, in recent memory was um, not too long after my accident, but I watched a PBS documentary on her life. and Something to live for? Yes. I bawled my eyes out, like dry heaved for like two hours Mm -hmm. after. Like it was very intense. Oh my God. I want to hug you for watching that. (laughs) I love her her so much. (laughs) I'm a dork for my cartoons and my shows and my jazz singers. Yes. I didn't know that. I mean, I listened to her. I have uh, some of her vinyl and, uh, but I had no idea that. Yeah, I just always enjoyed her music. And then I watched that. And now I like, I just listen with like just such a deeper level and appreciation for her. She has had like all of the trauma. That's so much. (laughs) I mean, like she's not like dark, like Nina Simone, where you can really feel it. And I feel like Nina Simone is telling you, that she's had trauma. I feel yeah. like I feel like when Ella, Nina Simone is one of the greats and my favorite, and I love yeah. the darkness. Yeah. Um. But like with Ella, I feel like when I listen to her, it's like a triumph. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. it. It's it's um, and it's it's there's like this beauty, but knowing her story, that you know that there is pain that she's she is releasing through yeah. her beautiful voice. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's really awesome that you're able to like heal and process through through singing and I see my wife does that with with her art so she like paints and draws every day and um a lot of her trauma and her experiences and her anger because in in person she's like the sweetest person you could imagine and you would you would never guess just by being around her that she's had this like super traumatic past. And then you see her art and it's all just like knives going into eyes and like just very dark, <laughs> dark stuff and like many knives. And 
Uh, and yeah, but that's like, that's how she processes it and makes like these beautiful yeah. pieces of work through it. But it's, you know, it's different for everybody. Like, um, we had a, an episode of Diking Out where the topic was plants. And so many people, I was so surprised, so many listeners wrote in and talked about how they love to, like, garden and take care of oh. plants. And that that's how they, like, it's very healing to their yeah. past traumas and stuff like that. So, yeah, you don't have to be, like, a singer or a painter <laughs> yeah. or a comedian to process all your stuff. Like, if you're if you're a listener and you've had trauma just like find try different things and find what like brings you Um, peace and good feelings when you're doing it and i will say like when i said i was a shell of a person i've never admitted this publicly because i feel like it's it's there's a lot of misunderstandings of it but um i feel and very safe right now and um but the way i processed my trauma for i'm still going through it but um was i developed a very very intense eating disorder Mm. and when i went to rehab they said everybody who has eating disorders that's a coping mechanism or addiction Mm -hmm. addiction in general is a coping mechanism so anytime i meet an addict i'm always like well you have traumas that you need to sort through and this is protecting you right now from that trauma because sometimes your body isn't ready to to release it yeah and that's why you really want to when you do go with emdr if you go to an emdr you want to work with a therapist that you really connect to it they might be a nice person but you know try out a few people and then go with the person that you connect to the most because you have to feel really safe because your right. body is going to bring bring up stuff that somatically it may not be ready to like cope with mm-hmm. so you want to be really comfortable yeah but yeah you know i i i just want to say for people who are who are dealing with addiction issues like that's okay too you yeah. you just um your ans- the answer is that you have you probably had trauma yeah. And 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 that's how you're masking it. And yeah. that's how you're choosing to survive with it. Yeah. I had a eating disorder too, but um I just I later found out in therapy I gained a ton of weight after like I was a healthy kid and then after the abuse happened, I just started eating more and I became like a food addict and I eventually um put on so much weight. I was like morbidly obese for a very long time. And it was because I eventually found out that I was kind of like making this wall around, like I didn't want to be touched and I wanted to make myself as undesirable as possible. Yes. That's a very Uh, common thing for, for people who, um, gain weight because of of trauma and yeah, exactly that. I was surprised when I learned about that through hearing some friends talk about, about that. Very real. Yeah. And just by the way, because I, I just feel like eating disorders are so misunderstood. This with when you are obese, the same thing happens to your your body breaks down in the same way that somebody who is severely underweight. Mm-hmm. You, the, mm-hmm. Your cells start mutating. You can't. It's, it's hard to survive. And that's why yeah. they're so dangerous. And I knew like in 2015 when I was coping with this. They said the number one death more than violence for women under 30 are eating disorders. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. And um, so I just think I really, I understand. Yeah. I yeah. really do. They're, they're so misunderstood. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I remember my my cousin had a pretty serious uh, eating disorder and she wouldn't eat or drink. 
Oh, yeah, I've and met she, people like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and had to be be hospitalized and put on an IV because she just refused to drink. And her family, like, they couldn't understand what was happening, and nobody really thought that you know that there was trauma. They're like, I don't know. She was never like this. Like, why yeah. all of a sudden is she? Yeah, you know. And thankfully, now she's. She's better and she got she got the help, but it was just like so misunderstood mm-hmm. by and also like sad for the fit. They were so confused and like worried and didn't know what they could do yeah. to to support yeah. somebody like um, I guess that that's a good question too. what are some things that friends and people like close in your life have done that have been very helpful for you as as a survivor? Oh, my friends have been so wonderful. I think just like calling and like checking up on me and spending time with me when I was really isolating and <laughs> me cry. Oh, <laughs> like, not leaving the house, you know, and like Alex Lilly, who wrote a lot of the songs for me. We weren't even that close at the time. She's best, best friends with Barb. They're like sisters. But Alex would like call me every day and be like, you want to go on a walk? And, the, and she would just come out with me. And I remember my eating starter got much louder at the time and... I had also gained weight because, you know, I was eating food again and I was obsessed with that. And she's, she was just saying, you're beautiful. And a lot of people don't like to talk about the way they look at, at all. That's another thing, which is also helpful. Sometimes I just like, I don't want to talk about body. At yeah. All. Like sometimes people will comment on my body and I'll be like, oh, I just kind of roll my eyes. But yeah. <clears throat> that's something that's very not helpful for people with eating disorders. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely not. Because it, we don't identify with our bodies. We yeah. identify with our souls. Yeah. And, and it's not about that, you know? And um, that's just, it. For I really believe an eating disorder is a mental illness. So it's like, if you start that spark, it's like giving an alcoholic a taste of alcohol. Saying, oh, mm. just drink beer, don't drink wine or something. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. It yeah. makes it, I'm, if I hear about a new diet, like my mind goes crazy. So yeah. it's like those things aren't very helpful to me, you know? Yeah. Like if somebody says, oh, just eat um, vegan or something, you know, it's like, no, that doesn't. Yeah. I, I believe in the ethics of it, but like that doesn't work for me because yeah. I'm sick. I'm, a, I'm mentally ill yeah. in that way. <laughs> and, and, um, and take diets to the next level. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, my friends just checking up with me and like not judging what I eat when I get all controlly about what I, you know, they like, they just support me. And um, <clears throat> I did have a recent bout with anorexia and people were really upset by it. And I didn't, there was a part of me, like the the sick part of me was like, don't talk to me about it. But the healthy part of me was like, People care about me. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to see somebody get up on stage and them to be sick. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's scary. Yeah. You know? And um, and so I think, like, just people just calling me and being like, Sam, what's going on? Like, do you need help? Like, I love you. I support you. Is like, that has really warmed my heart. And yeah. I, and everybody who, you know, has been worried about me, I, I love you so much. And and I am taking care of myself. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> it's a, I'm a work in progress. As I said, I, I haven't recovered from my trauma yet, but uh, we're but all I, work in progress. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm working Don't, on it. There's no shame in <laughs> having yeah. stuff to work on. Yeah, um, man, that. Do you find like 
it can be tough living in LA too, just because I feel oh, like yeah. everyone in LA is like so focused on. Oh, they're obsessed. Yeah, yeah. New York's like that too, though. Yeah, one of the first things a woman came to my show the other night said she's like, "Oh, you lost so much weight." <laughs> like I was like, um, uh. <laughs> "She's like, what are you doing?" I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Probably not healthy things that I'm going to share with you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, <laughs> and I feel like with somebody who has like lost and gained weight as much as I have, it's like obviously I have an eating disorders, but people don't know about eating disorders. Sure. So I feel like it's, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a soapboxy kind of gal. Like I don't share a lot on Instagram about like my, my personal life because yeah. I feel like I'm not. Um, articulate enough to argue politics but I can just say like I do believe that eating disorders are just a coping mechanism they're an addiction like anything else and please have empathy for us because we're, yeah. not, we're just oh, trying sure. to survive yeah. yeah, and especially women where we've been so brainwashed by diet culture and everybody is obsessed with our bodies and you have to yes. be like this and oh celebrity I saw them in real life and they were so small and it's like who cares Yeah, like I, nobody cares like it's yeah. not a big deal well, yeah, and it's like all this pressure to to be small, and then but then you're like, oh, you're too small, and then yeah. people get yeah. criticized, and then the, you know, no, you which is another like- way of body shaming. Like even I, it's very scary to see people severely, severely underweight or severely overweight, but you cannot body shame them. Yeah, you, ha- you have to just emotionally support them. Yeah, and, you, and just have empathy because they're just trying to cope. Yeah, know, with whatever that has happened to them. Yeah, yeah. don't comment just on people's appearances because you don't know what they're going through like when I like over the course of a year and a half I lost um a little over a hundred pounds and I was just laser focused on it but to the point that I actually like developed an eating disorder um like on the opposite end of the spectrum where Mm -hmm. I used to be addicted to food then I was suddenly addicted to not eating food and I I just it it was like my version of it was I couldn't swallow food like I would chew it and I could like I just spit it out yeah um and I dealt with that for a long time but the praise I was getting like oh my god you look great you look great what are you doing like just like keep it up yeah that registered as all right I'm just gonna keep on keeping on like like my teeth are rotting and like I was like throwing up yeah (laughs) oh my Um, teeth are bad yeah Yeah. that I will never forget one of the sickest I ever was um my eating disorder started out with binging also and then I developed bulimia and I was probably I couldn't leave the house. I d- totally isolated from all my friends. I was still I was sick with Hashimoto, so I didn't know I had a Hashimoto. So I think that was part of it too. Is yeah. that I didn't understand what was happening with my body. Yeah. And oh, um and and I was like throwing up like literally ten times a day, and um that was my life. That was my life. And yeah. and I would like. <sighs> get it together to go down to Trader Joe's and buy my special food and this one woman was said to me she was like oh you look really healthy you must work out a lot and I just was like I wanted to say no I throw up 10 times a day and I'm barely surviving and I'm not getting my period and I'm really unhealthy oh yeah Yeah. you know it's like it's the yeah, yeah the commenting on people's bodies like just just don't. I mean, I mean like, like that's a safe it, choice. Yeah, that's like the safest route. Like nobody's going to be mad at you for not commenting on on their body. And I know like I'm sure I've been um guilty of it in the past. And I remember like I gained um 
some weight in college and then I lost it and lost even more, um, over the summer and came back the next year, like really thin and was like elated when people noticed and commented on it. Um, but even then I'm like recognizing how, how not good that, that that was. And like, had nobody said anything, I also would have been totally fine. But like when, when, when people, um, one of my friends, was seeing a nutritionist and trying to lose weight in like a very like healthy, steady way. And people started commenting about how, how great she looked and she wasn't losing like a ton of weight or anything like that. And it was making her so depressed that people were saying that. And it was like, did you not find me beautiful before? Like it it totally fucked with her. So it was, and I, I was thankful like that, she she communicated yeah that and let everybody know because i i was kind of like oh my god would i have said something had i not known like sometimes yeah. you're just like not aware of it because we've been brainwashed to th- yeah. to think that that is like that is um makes us worthy right right losing weight oh i i really succeeded at this diet and oh, yeah. so it's like that's that's anyway yeah but i was going to also say because i dated um another weight eating disorders form um and i've met a lot of people like this and i my ex who is a they would strap down their breasts all the time and really we both just wouldn't eat very much together and i realized later on oh they had an eating disorder because they wanted their body to be really really small and masculine Mm. and um yeah they would not like barely eat anything and and um it was about being really flat, yeah, you know, and more masculine. Yeah, I and, think um, that. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, girls and and trans and theys and thems that I think um, that like masculinity and that look and that can be a way of 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 coping with that is is developing eating disorder to like sure yeah yeah especially the gay male community. Yeah, oh, there's, yeah. There's so much body shaming oh, that, yeah. that happens there. And it's like, if you're not, um, if you're not a bear, you have to mm-hmm. like be going to the gym yeah. um, and either be like super, super buff or be super skinny. Yeah. And yep. yeah, they deal with yeah. it so hard. Yes. Yeah. Um, my old roommate is gay male. Um, he was a model. And eventually had to stop because he developed such a bad eating yeah. disorder. And it's still, you still like see it in him. And he's in the gym like every day. Um, and just like reading comments on his posts, like like of these like sexy shoots, just like mining them for any kind of comment that yeah. would like then set him off. Yeah. When I went to my rehab, when I went there, I went there for trauma and they were like, you have a raging eating disorder. <laughs> we're going to make you primary eating disorder care. And with a secondary, of, we're going to treat your trauma because oh, wow. all people with eating disorders have trauma. And that's how I learned that. I like to call it eating disorder camp. Yeah. But I was terrified when I went, you know, like you take, they take everything away. You don't have a cell phone. It's like going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to like a therapy jail. But, um, but I was like, fuck, am I going to be the only gay person here? Like, is it going to be horrible? I'm going to have to be like, yes, I'm a lesbian. And people are like, what? Yeah. Which happens all the time because I'm super femme. So I don't look like a lesbian. Yeah. And, um, but, um, literally everybody in the eating disorder, we were all gay. <laughs> <laughs> all of us. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> uh, 
community. <laughs> Boys and girls and everything. I should put yeah. that in the marketing materials. <laughs> I actually, when you first said that, I didn't realize that there was rehab for trauma. Rehab for trauma, yeah. rehab for mental illness, like bipolar. There was people there for that went. Um, I had a friend that I made there that was there because she had debilitating anxiety. Um, yeah, there's you can find resources and free resources to like there are so much 12 step stuff or just group therapy free stuff and um that you can find like there is help out there i promise you are not alone yeah because i i think a lot of people don't you know with the current healthcare system uh don't have access or might not know how to access affordable Um, care and resources and therapy. I mean, I know I waited to go to therapy <clears throat> until um, until my wife got a job that therapy yeah. was covered. Yeah. And then started unpacking a lot of stuff. Uh- <laughs> I know. Um, even if you, like, going back to friends, like, even if you have one friend that you feel really safe with talking to, yeah, and you could just say, can you just listen to me? Is that okay? You know? Yeah. And, 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 um, that can even be really, really helpful because sometimes we just need somebody to hear our story. We just need to feel seen. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned um, like Instagram before and the, you know, social media can be so terrible for your brain and for, for so many things and comparing yourselves to other people and um, letting comments other people make affect you. Uh, the one thing... I mean, there's a good side to it as well, right? And people sharing their stories and and sharing their trauma more to take the stigma out of it mm-hmm. has been a great thing to see, especially with like Me Too, and and all that stuff. But one thing, like, I felt like when I started seeing my wife and she was telling me about her experiences and her trauma, I could sense that she carried a lot of shame with it too, and. Yeah. Man, I'm getting teary right now. But that just, yeah. it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because I there's absolutely zero shame yeah. uh, in it. and But unfortunately, everybody who's been through it um, feels a lot of shame and blames themselves. Yeah. And I think that's where being able to talk to people, like you said, that you feel safe with um, is, is so important. And know that you can talk to people without being judged. And there are a lot of people that are more than happy um, to do that for you and, you know, yeah. shower you with love There's and understanding. There's some great podcasts too. Yeah. There's one, it's really heavy. It's hard for me to listen to, but it's because they're speaking truth, but it's called um, Love More and it's about like body image and like, um, it's like about the anti-diet revolution, which oh, is um, awesome. I really, that has helped, probably helped me the most, but every you know, everybody's different, but yeah. um, just realizing that, Oh, I'm addicted to this diet thing and I don't have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, like on the flip side, too, I struggled with so much shame and it took me forever to be able to talk about any of this. The way I was able to start was just by journaling because, Mm -hmm. like, and I still do, I write like three pages every morning, stream of consciousness. Um, And that's because I do the artist way. I don't know if you know that. I love that book. (laughs) But they'll always do the morning pages because that Mm -hmm. has been so healing. And then if I wanted to start coming out with my trauma and talking to people about it, I was literally able to go back and like read some entries and like, okay, that's how I articulate it and use that as a jumping off point. That's a great point. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that Julie Cameron. so much. Yeah, I love that. Get the so book. Much. <laughs> I need to start doing that. <laughs> uh, I, I read the. I read every morning. I read um, Melody Beattie's "Letting Go." <clears throat> it's just like a daily, like little prayer every single day. Yeah, um, not a prayer, and like an affirmation. Or? Yeah, it okay. ends with an affirmation um, that says, "Like ask God." I don't believe in God, but um, I, I don't. It's not about that for me. It's sure, just, it's a message, you know. Yeah, and. Um, but like today's actually was on shame and guilt. Like mm. it's just a little like she just talks about it, how toxic it is, and then she yeah. says, "You know, God, please help me today to release myself from guilt." And so I just like put that in my head, and even if I forget it, I start the day like that. Yeah, <clears throat> she has like different ones every day. But yeah, that's great. <laughs> Thank you so much for for sharing all of this. I know this is kind of a heavier yeah. episode. Um, <laughs> But I think it's it's important to talk about it. And I'm sure that a lot of our, our listeners are going to find this very healing and helpful to listen to. So I can't thank you enough so. for, for sharing that. Thank you. I'm a walking dark comedy. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a listener question to get to before we wrap up. And this listener wrote in and said, I realize I have a strong crush on my supervisor at my mm-hmm. university job. For context, she's 29 and I'm 22, finishing my undergrad uh, in April. So I think we are somewhat similar as far as maturity, and I'm almost positive that she's queer. I think there's a chance she may like me too. She's always complimenting all my outfits or earrings or makeup. Also, really liked my diking out shirt. She is queer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, she is telling you something. Let me tell you, my neighbor used to always tell Cecilia whenever she wore her dyke out with me shirt, um, she'd be like, love the shirt. And then we're like, oh, she's just trying to tell us she's queer. Anyway, (laughs) back to the question. I'm pretty sure I can't date her while she's my supervisor. I've got to wait four months until my job is finished. I don't want to quit. Part of me wants to go on dates in the meantime with other people, but I'm thinking, what's the point if you're really interested in her uh, and likely won't be into the other girls as much. If I wait to ask her out, though, and find out she's not interested, I risk wasting my time by not seeing other people uh, I've never navigated the whole workplace dating thing. What do I do? Uh, this really takes me back to being 21 and 22 and three, oh. three months feeling like forever. And yeah. Time you can never get back in your life. <laughs> Don't take me back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... What, was that your crack age? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Those are the crack... You, you shouldn't be working in the library. You should be out there smoking crack. <laughs> until uh, Until you guys can date. No. Uh, I mean, my two cents is one, obviously, even though I have dated my coworkers before in this scenario where you're a student and she works in university, like you definitely cannot do that. Like that will, uh, be, be very problematic. And, uh, you know, you mentioned in your email that, that you're kind of like me, a serial monogamous. So once you have somebody in your sights, you're not really that interested in giving people the other time of day. I, I don't think it. It could hurt to to go on a couple dates, but if you don't want to go on a couple dates and just want to get to know this person better uh, as a friend, you know, I don't think you're going to like miss out on your soulmate in the meantime or or anything like that. So as long as you're not like really needing casual sex, uh, it's going to be April like so soon. Yeah. You've already made it this far since November, right? Yeah. That's not that much 
longer to wait. Yeah. See what happens when you guys go to the women's restroom together. Yes. <laughs> that's great advice. Push her in a bathroom stall. Or yeah. like, <laughs> if you have a common interest, like maybe like, oh, you like this band? Let's go to this concert. Yeah. That's the end of March, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of have something to look forward to and then yes. feel it out and go from there. Yeah. Make make plans. Go to a folk music festival <laughs> in the spring. Yeah. Go to... <laughs> Lilith Fair. <laughs> I went up to how I hit on Barb was I walked up to her and I fixed her collar. Whoa. <laughs> Man, Samantha, you've got all the pro moves. <laughs> Let me slut. tell you. I'm like not smooth at all. I'm just like, you have something in your eye. <laughs> your fly's down. <laughs> Buy me a drink. <laughs> My girlfriend was so smooth. And then like immediately once she had me, she just revealed herself to be a huge dork. And she's like, yeah, that was just <gasps> pretend. Like I'm very earnest and savvy. And like, oh. like, oh, you got me. <laughs> uh, now that I know Allie, I'm. It seems very funny to picture her being very smooth. She was so slow. <laughs> to be fair, though, she was drinking at the time, and she's since quit. Um, she had a drinking problem, but um, <laughs> she's like, I wasn't smooth. I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, well, best of luck to you, listener, Thanks. but I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fine. Uh, don't, I think you're overthinking it, but I know it's like very real and very frustrating to have to wait when you have your, your heart set on, on somebody, but the payoff will be worth it. Even if she turns you down, which she won't. No, she's she complimenting your diking out shirt. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. all we need to know. She's digging you and even if she's not gay it's like who's not going to be complimented by a girl going like you know i, I right. even when somebody i'm not attracted to like hits on you like it still feels good like yeah. it's not a big deal like you're not doing anything wrong yeah yeah great well if you have a question for us you can always send it uh to diking out at gmail.com and samantha where can people find you on the internet and find your music and listen to it they can find me on facebook and instagram i use my instagram more often but you can stream my music on any streaming platform for free or you can buy my record if you like vinyl online. it's very pretty it's <laughs> a very you. pretty vinyl it's not just basic <laughs> black it's like mm. a reddish pink mm -hmm. i want i wanted it to look like a fellini film yeah <clears throat> And those photos are real film. I'm real old school. <laughs> They're not digital. Well, that was digitally designed, but yeah, the photo yeah, yeah, itself yeah. was no, taken no, on film. I'm giving it a, a second look. At I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you can buy it on um, Release Me Records. Um, just Google that and it'll I don't know the exact website. or um, And it'll take you to my website and you can just buy it on, <clears throat> you know, you can get the CD if you like CDs, vinyl. And I sell underwear, too. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, uh, we noticed that. We noticed time. that right when we walked in. I was like, merch panties. Yes. <laughs> I have all sizes. I made that a big, big point. <laughs> I have all sizes, and I have boy shorts, too, for people who like that. Awesome. Nice. Uh, and you can follow us online uh, at Diking Out Everywhere. And if you want to hear about Melody squirting, we'll record an episode yeah. soon for our Patreon. <laughs> There's no turning back. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like sign sealed delivered. We're doing this. Um, 
That's patreon.com slash diking out. If you want, you can get like enamel pins or uh, temporary tattoos. And uh, you can also um, be a member on Himalaya, if that's more your thing. The Himalaya podcasting app, it's free to download, but then you can pay to be a member and get extra episodes. You can follow me personally at TGI Carolyn. And you can follow me at Melody Kamali on all of the platforms. Thank you so much for diking out with us today. And we'll dike out with you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.